the Bible. Are you intimidated at the thought of reading such a complicated book? Do you find it daunting or delightful or both? Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. The Bible book club, where we read every word of this great book and then study it together. Well, last episode was your brief respite from law school, if you're tracking along with us in the laws in Exodus. And it was our golden calf episode, that terrible moment when Moses comes down and finds that the Israelites have diverged from the plan and did not trust enough to know that he was up there getting all the great stuff from God. They create an idol and they worship and they have a big party, an orgy actually, And Aaron takes part in this whole debacle. God then burns with anger and Moses intercedes on their behalf. Then Moses also burns with anger and he throws the tablets, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. And the guiltiest Israelites are then killed by the sword at the hands of the Levites, who curiously then become the priests. But (laughs) I'm still kind of sore about that one. (laughs) And then the other ones, the other the other guilty parties are killed by a plague. So God has his day. Mm-hmm. And now we can move on. All right. The scene we are left with after the last chapter is not pretty. It was a huge breakup scene. The Israelites have cheated on God and he has threatened to leave them. Moses has to mediate, but how? The tabernacle was to be the place where they atone for their sin and meet with God, but that plan has fallen to pieces. Yeah, and let me just say one more thing in my comparison about last episode or my recap of last episode. Mm -hmm. One Bible bender that I had Mm -hmm. was Moses as the image or metaphor for Jesus. So him interceding on our behalf for God, to God, on our behalf, and the same thing that Jesus does today intercedes on our behalf to God. And you can really see here that Moses is burdened by what's going on. As I know Jesus is too. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying. We have to imagine Jesus just as, um, you know, burdened when we commit sin, uh, knowing that he's, he's, of course, the way to... We're forgiven. However, it's hard for him. It's hard for him. It grieves his heart. And Moses is got to be in dark days right now. He's got Mm -hmm. to figure figure this out. He doesn't know where the tablets have been, you know, fallen to pieces and he doesn't know where they stand with God. He has to find a way to meet with God to talk about this. And that's what's going to happen in chapter 33. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt and go up to the land I promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. I can almost imagine how Moses's uh, hopes might have soared a little with these words. It because it it does seem like oh the Israelites are back in business because God is reiterating the the patriarchs and the promise until God then adds this. But I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. 
Now, take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Ugh, what, what, what? How is it going to work if God doesn't go with us? And who is an angel? What happened to the angel? In English, the definite article, the angel, has been replaced with the indefinite article, an angel. The Israelites realized immediately that without God, they are indefinite and become distressed. Who are they without God, without the angel to lead the way? How will they defeat their enemies? Is this the end of the road? If God goes with them, he says he will end up destroying them out of anger. If God doesn't go with them, they will be destroyed by the Canaanites or end up where they began in slavery. And they weren't so worried about God not being with them when they were willing to make that calf. <laughs> exactly. Like, well, let's just find a new God. Which is why God says, I'm not going. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to show you what it's really like if I'm not you. with you. <laughs> All right. This section is called the tent of the meeting. Like I said, Moses has to find a way to meet with God. He's got to mediate this deal. <laughs> Verse seven. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances of their own tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Okay, so I do really picture this like a breakup. Like, you know, you've got the 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 um the offender party trying to kind of like be on their best behavior. They know they did what was wrong and they want to get back in with this person they love, but they've got to wait for the person in the middle to mediate it to have Happen. The tabernacle has not yet been built. And, and although they had the instructions to build it, their relationship with God is so tenuous right now. And it might not yet be clear to them and to Moses as to whether God considers them worthy enough to build his tabernacle. Well, if they couldn't be trusted to wait the 40 <laughs> exactly. days while he was up on the mountain, how could they be trusted to wait for however exactly. long it is that he's in the tent? So they're just rebuilding their trust. They're, they're, in, they're in limbo right now. So Moses pitches the tent outside the camp and calls it the tent of meeting. This meeting place is like an alternative tabernacle in which Moses can have access to God. It's like maybe a temporary Switzerland where Moses can meet with God while he tries to restore the relationship between God and the Israelites. It's not the mountain and it's not the tabernacle that was planned. However, I do think it will save a little of Moses's time and legs climbing up and down the mountain because <laughs> he just has to walk outside the, the camp to the tent and it will prevent him. Now, this these are just my theories, people. So just understand this. But I was trying to think of the purpose of this. It will prevent him from leaving the children with a babysitter. Israel is too young and hard to manage, even 
for Moses's older brother, Aaron, to control. Well, it seems like Aaron <laughs> needed more controlling than Moses. Exactly. So the close vicinity of the tent keeps Israel under the watchful eye of the only one who can keep them in check, and that is Moses. God approved of this idea. And so the cloud would descend from the mountain and guard the entrance to the tent while God and Moses spoke. Joshua builds a case for being a man you can count on. Joshua is clearly a man who follows orders. He did not move for 40 days mid-mountain on Sinai, and he does not move now from the front of that tent. He is proving to be the man to follow God's orders and deliver his people into the promised land. And I just love that we get these little glimpses of him so early in the game. All right. Moses has a meeting place now. He needs to negotiate with God. This next conversation will remind you a little of the conversation between Abraham and God in Genesis 18, season one, episode 18. In that episode, God had given Abraham bad news about his nephew Lot, who lived in Sodom. Abraham loved Lot like a son, just as Moses loves the Israelites. Abraham did not want Lot to be destroyed with Sodom, where he was living, just as Moses does not want the Israelites to be killed without the angel. Abraham did three things that Moses will also do. He approached God with his concerns. He asked questions with a desire to understand what God was doing, and he accepted God's will as his own. That's the one where he was going, well, what if 77? Exactly. What if there's only 50? How about 40? How about 40? It was a great conversation. The result for both Abraham and Moses is that they find favor with God and find peace with God's decision. And that's why this three-pronged approach, ask questions and accept the three A's are something that we should do today. If we approach God with our concerns, if we ask him questions, and beg for understanding and then accept God's will as as our own will too, then then we will find peace with God. And I think there needs to be one, a fourth one, but inserted in between the second and the third. Approach God, yes. Ask questions, yes. But then listen for what God's going (laughs) to tell you before then you can accept God's will because you have to make sure that it's God who's telling you and not just something that you are trying to make a plan for and decide on your own. Correct. And how do you do that? You read the Bible. Yes. And you pray. And you pray. And you listen to what yeah. he has Where is your you. tent of meeting with God? Do you have a chair in your home that you go to every day and read the word and study? That's your tent of meeting. God will meet you there. The Holy Spirit will give you answers. All right. The result for both Abraham and Moses in this case is that they find favor with God and they find peace with God's decisions. So remember that. Approach, ask, accept. It worked for them. It'll work well for you. And how much more peace would you have in your life If you brought all your questions to God with a heart willing to learn and submit to as well. In our story, Moses has already found a way to approach God by setting up the tent of meeting. In doing so, he has found favor with God. So he takes the next step. Moses fights for God's favor by asking a series of three questions. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. 
remember that this nation is your people. First, Moses asks, who is going with me and will you teach me so that I may find favor? At this point, the beginning of the negotiations, nothing is clear. And Moses opens the dialogue by trying to establish who is going to continue on this journey. Who is he to lead? All the people or just some? And who is going to lead them? An angel or the angel? Then to show that he is all in and willing, Moses said, if you are pleased with me, teach me so that I may know you and find favor with you. Doesn't that kind of sound like Jesus? Not your, not my will, but yours, Lord. Could this be a prayer we should all memorize? Because it works really well. This is what God says in reply. Verse 14, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. God's response is this. God loves Moses's heart. God will go with him and God will give him rest. However, Moses is thinking, uh, but what about the other two million lost sheep here? I can't just leave them behind because remember, God said before, I could make you a nation. Moses continues then with his second series of questions. In verse 15, then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Moses is brilliant. He is asking questions, but in so doing, he is reminding God that the purpose for the miracles in Egypt, the plagues and the parting of the Red Sea were so that the world would know what God had just said in chapter 2946, that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. If God and all the people do not go with Moses, all of Egypt was for nothing. That is why in those verses that Heather just read, he said, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us. How will anyone know you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? <laughs> what else will distinguish me and, and your people? He keeps saying, he says your people, I think four times. And he says us like four times. He's definitely bringing to God that you have to send the people with me else your 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 name, your testimony, everything we've built up until this point is for nothing. All right, keep going. Verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, I will do everything you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. God responds to Moses's clear argument. God promises to do as Moses asks for one reason only, because he is pleased with Moses, not anybody else. God will allow the Israelites to continue as his people and go with him for Moses's sake alone. And can't you just hear God saying that to you too? I will do everything you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. Yeah. yeah. Once again, Moses has been instrumental in saving his people a second time. Verse 18. Then Moses said, show me your glory. This is his last question in this series of three. Why does Moses ask this? To understand, it helps to remember the very first time Moses met God at the negotiation table here at the base of Mount Sinai months ago. It is a coincidence that we are at the end of chapter 33 and all of this started in chapter three. Is it a coincidence though? No. 
It's mm. never a coincidence. It's anything with God ever a coincidence? It's a, a Bible bender. It's a Bible bender. When God called to Moses from a burning bush, and it says in chapter 3, verse 6, that when God identified himself, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. At that negotiation in the very beginning, Moses was the one who wanted no part of the deal to lead Israel. And God had to talk Moses into it by reassuring him in verse 12, I will be with you. Fast forward to this negotiation, and it is God who does not want a deal with Israel and Moses who must talk God into it. But now, like then, they have come to the same agreement. Moses will lead them and God will go with them. To seal the deal, Moses is asking for a new theophany, for the new deal. Not a burning bush this time. Show me more. Show me more of your glory. Moses is no longer afraid. He will not hide his face. He loves God. He knows God. He desires a deeper connection. He started this negotiation with teach me your ways. And he ends with show me your glory. Moses just wants more of God now. When I feel like that's what this whole process of questioning really is anyway, because You're calling it a negotiation, and I suppose it was, but you really can't talk God into doing anything that God didn't intend to do anyway. And it's more when you're questioning, it's so that you can come around to see God's point of view in this thing. It's all leading. It's leading. God leading and and getting his heart out of him. And, And Adam and Eve and Cain had that opportunity too. God came to Adam and Eve in the garden, and he said, why are you hiding? And they could have at that moment said, oh, we did something really bad, and we just want to be close to you again. Instead, they said, he made me do it. She made me do it. You know, the serpent made me do it. How did you know that you were? Yeah. So questioning with God is a beautiful thing. Um, It draws out our heart and our motive, and it really leads us along the path Mm -hmm. we need to go on. Okay, so what's next? Verse 19, and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. I loved reading the commentaries on this, just hours of reading. God's response to Moses is to make three statements about what he will do. First, he says, I will show you all my goodness. God is intimating that all his attributes create glory, but the manifestation of his goodness that Moses and the people is what Moses and the people of Israel need most. They need to see that he is good. Then he says, I will proclaim my name. This is a recall for Moses. In chapter three, way back in the beginning, when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush and called him to lead Israel, God proclaimed his name as Yahweh. And we talked about the meaning of that in that episode. By doing so again here in chapter 33, God is calling Moses again. They're restarting. This is a reboot. Okay, here we go again, Moses. We can do this. You can do this, Moses. The third thing he says is, I will have mercy and compassion on whom I choose. Heather, I think this one is for you. (laughs) Because you're still struggling about the sword. I'm struggling about that and condoning of murder. 
Most commentaries suggest this is a reference to the mercy and compassion that God is showing to Israel in continuing this journey with them. In other words, it may not always happen like this, and he doesn't have to explain why. Well, it's back to that. You're not going to talk God into doing anything. It's more about you becoming resigned to what God wants for you to do and what God wants in your life. He will proclaim his own glory. He doesn't necessarily need us to do it, although he'll use you as an instrument. Mm -hmm. But if you don't step up to the plate, he'll find someone else to do it. Like I said, exactly. And like I said before, we have this one book to read, the Bible. But there are prequels, sequels, and addendums in the heavenly library. It is so infinite. God's plan, his perception. We are very one-dimensional. He is multi-dimensional. We can't even understand everything he understands. And so he's saying here, you know, you're okay, I you're questioning me. I get it, Moses. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm this is I'm gonna do I'll these give things. You a little glimpse. But you're never to gonna understand. Myself. And there are gonna be times when you don't understand, like with Abraham saying, What if it's only sixty? What if it's only fifty? What if it's only forty? You're not gonna understand what I'm about to do, Abraham. Just let it go and trust me. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna do anything that is not it, it, it that, that that is not in your best interest. Or that is not righteous. Mm-hmm. I am a righteous God and you have to trust that I alone am that definition of righteousness and you can't understand it. So keep going. Verse 21, then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. This is perhaps the best theophany ever. This is the one I would choose, actually. There are lots of theophanies or physical. You remember a theophany is just a physical manifestation of God in the Bible. We've had a bunch in Exodus alone, the burning bush, the cloud, but this one would be the one to get above all others. It is as close as you get without dying. Only Elijah in 1 Kings 19 got this kind of close look at God, but it wasn't kind of as pretty. This was a prettier one to me. Uh, Elijah's experience may have taken place actually in this very same cleft or cave. We don't know for sure, but it could have because it was in the same area. However, Elijah's was a little more powerful and scary and a lot less beautiful. The description of what Moses will see is anthropomorphic. God is ascribing human attributes to himself, his hand and back for ours and Moses's understanding. It doesn't mean he actually like has a hand or back like we understand um, a hand and back to be, but he's using those terms. It's called anthropomorphic so that we can kind of understand what's going to go down. So is he, he's kind of like, I will send you where I need you to go. Just trust me. Yeah, he puts he hides him in this cleft. He's he says, "Okay, you're right. You you need a you need a level up from the burning bush. Thank you for asking to want to see my glory, Moses. I'm going to give you something no one else is going to get to see. I'm going to have to hide you in this cleft cuz you can't look full on at me. You die. It's just too powerful. Only after in the afterlife are we going to get to see that." And so he he says, "I'm going to cover you until I walk past and then you're going to get to see kind of his God's fading glory. He's going to get to see the backside of God, what's left after God trails after. That's all you can handle. But it's 
amazing and it's a gift to Moses. And it's, I think God honors that because Moses desires, like he said, he just wants so much of God that God says, that's, that's really, that's, Back this is the, the kind of heart I want. <laughs> this is what I want you to want. Moses fought for God's favor and Moses won. And it is because of Moses that Israel is saved. God is going to renew the covenant because of this man, Moses. And he's going to do it with a repeat of the instructions from the first time. Moses is to recreate the stone tablets, head back up the mountain for another 40 days all alone. God will show himself to Moses, proclaim his compassion, grace, patience, love, faithfulness, forgiveness, and judgment. Moses will worship and ask for forgiveness on behalf of the people. God is going to renew the covenant. He promises to make Israel his people and give them the land again, and they must promise to obey him. Then God is going to outline a fraction of the laws that were given before in episodes 14, 15, and 16. There's going to be no other gods, no idols. They need to celebrate that festival of unleavened bread. The firstborn belongs to God. Keep the Sabbath, celebrate the festival of weeks, and of course, never cook a goat in its mother's milk. No witchcraft. All of this, while repetitious, is in fact a precious example of who our God is. Loving, forgiving, and desiring a relationship with Israel and with us. So despite Israel's sin, God is moving forward with the plan that they rejected when they rejected him, but he's forgiven them. Well, let's see if the Israelites will rise to the occasion on this, their second chance (laughs) at 40 days without creating a golden calf as an idol in chapter 34. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going, or they will be a snare among you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, 
and cut down their Azra poles. Do not worship any other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land, for when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. Do not make any idols. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time of the month of Aviv, for in that month you came out of Egypt. The first offspring of every womb belongs to me, including all the firstborn males of your livestock, whether from herd or flock, redeem the firstborn donkey with with a lamb. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem all your firstborn sons. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. Six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during the plowing season and harvest, you must rest. Celebrate the festival of weeks with the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the festival of ingathering at the turn of the year. Three times a year, all your men are to appear before the sovereign Lord, the God of Israel." I will drive out nations before you in a larger territory and no one will covet your land when you go up three times each year to appear before the Lord your God. Do not offer the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast and do not let any of the sacrifice from the Passover festival remain until morning. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Then the Lord said to Moses, write down these words, for in accordance with these words, I've made a covenant with you and with Israel. Moses was there with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Moses goes back down the mountain one more time. I can't wait to see what and, he did. And I'm sure he was probably a little nervous about what he might find <laughs> there when he gets there. And here's my theory. This is only my theory. So just, just know this. It doesn't say that Moses took Joshua with him on this trip as he did before. And, and, it, and it doesn't say that he left Aaron in charge. But I have to wonder if he like was going to leave and was going to take Joshua. And I wonder if he didn't look at Joshua and go, hey, Joshua, I want you to stay here. I want you to follow Aaron around. Make sure that he doesn't get out of control. I think his heart's changed. But you have to wonder, like, did he leave Joshua back at the camp as a threat to the Israelites? Because, you know, Joshua is a military man. He wields the sword. Like, I could just see Joshua standing over all of them with the sword in his hilt. Like, don't, don't do even it. think about it. <laughs> and you're probably right. But also God told him no one else is allowed to come here. And you can't even let your livestock graze at the foot of the mountain. Probably because yeah, he knew yeah. that they would be, yeah. you know, tempted to do the wrong thing. Anyways. Yeah, I think he left. Joshua behind because he yeah. was nervous that things would get out of control. Okay, I have a couple questions. When you think of Joshua and Aaron and everything that happened, you know, can God trust you to follow His instructions? Now, That's a if, deep question. If you're if you're listening to Bible Book Club, you're you're learning the word. So I give you kudos right off. At least you care enough to even 
find out what his instructions are, because that's what we're learning here. We're learning God's instructions. Or are you a little more like Aaron and the Israelites with a tendency to rationalize modifications to the instructions? And a tendency to not take responsibility when it does go south. Right, exactly. And that's back to, you know, our path chart. (laughs) The path and our heart. Yeah, exactly. Okay, keep reading a little bit more for me. Verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. So interesting. The Israelites react with fear because of Moses's radiance. It is believed that the glow was transferred glory, a reflection of God in Moses, a result of the time he spent with God. And, you know, that vision he got to see as a cleft in the, when he was in the rock. The Israelites may have been afraid because to see the glory of God would mean death. And the reality is that fear was kind of healthy for the Israelites. It was a reminder that, oh yeah, this Moses fellow is really God's guy. <laughs> we need to remember that this, so, you know, the radiance. Let's not call him any more names. Exactly. We need to treat him with a little respect because he's starting to radiate. <laughs> and, then, um, and then he also treats them with a little bit of mercy because then he's like, well, maybe I shouldn't scare them like this. I'll cover my face with this right. veil. They needed to be reminded to obey and respect Moses for their own good and for Israel's future. Another reason to make this your theophany of choice is the glow up. The <laughs> Not sh- the glow up that the kids talk about exactly. today. The shine you get from spending time with God is better than all the dewy glow up makeup in the world combined. We all want to shine and shine we can because Paul tells us how in 1 Corinthians 3.13. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away, but their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. And that is just a beautiful Uh image and comparison that Maybe you have, but I certainly had never put together before until you just put that right there as we're reading this story, Susan. Thank it's you. So cool. The question for us is, are you glowing for the time you've spent with God? Well, it's time for a glow up. It's time for a glow up that you don't have to spend any money on. <laughs>
What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to SusanMe.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio, edited by Buck Buchanan, produced by Haley Mawatt.